Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. What an incredible opportunity with worship and, and hearing from other pastors and how the Lord is at work at our church. I'm just excited to be part of this church, man. Golly, the Lord is doing such cool things. Let me, let me pray for us, and we're going to jump right in this morning. Father, we love you. We serve you. We praise your name. Lord, we, we give all glory to you. We give all glory to you, Lord, for everything you've done, for everything that you're going to do, for our time of praise and worship this morning, for the opportunity to open the truth of your word. We just praise your name. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we love you, Father. We love you because of who you are. Father, I thank you for the work you're doing in the hearts of our people. Some of the things we're aware of, most we're probably not. But Lord, I pray that as we we go out into the world, into the community, as ambassadors, Father, as representatives of the gospel, that you would speak through us, that you would use us to accomplish your purposes. And Father, I pray that that part of our growth, part of our understanding, part of our development in Christ would be right now as we open the truth of your word. That we would rely on that foundation, that it would speak clearly to us. It would, it would challenge our thoughts. It would convict us, Lord. It would shine light and truth into the dark recesses of our hearts and into our lives so we can be whole, trusting you in all things. Father, you be with us this morning, we pray. As we look to your word, to your inspiration, to your truth, Father, speak clearly to us through the power of the Spirit, Lord. May we be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We are continuing our series this week that we have entitled Faith in Action. It's a study through the letter of James. I think this is our fifth Sunday doing this and we are walking verse by verse trying to understand how to take our faith and put it into action. And I love this series because James is extremely practical with us. James wants us to understand that our faith is not passive. It's not enough for us just kind of sit and rest on what we've done. It's not enough just to say certain things. James is going to challenge us to more. He's going to challenge us to do things sometimes outside of our comfort zone. He's very simply going to challenge us to take our faith and to put it into action. And so James has given us now a series of tests, a series of things he wants us to consider in our lives, things that we should consider in our hearts, ways in which we should kind of measure our lives versus the standard of Christ and the standard of his word. And so he's challenged us with things like, how do we deal with trials? We saw that in the early part of chapter 1. Do we find joy in our trials? Are are we able to trust the Lord? Are we growing in our walk? Do we understand there's a bigger picture at play when we walk through those trials? Can we control our tongue? Are we able to control the things we say and, and the way we relate to others? 
Last week we talked about the idea of favoritism. Are we showing favoritism? Do we, do we choose one person over another simply based on the way they look or their appearance? All of these things are important as we examine our salvation, as we examine our walk. And James uses the analogy of a mirror and he says we should on a regular basis examine our lives and examine our hearts based on the reflection of God's word and the reflection of God's truth. James says you shouldn't walk away from a mirror and forget what you've seen in the same way you shouldn't walk away from God's truth and not change things about the way you live. And so he's talked about trials, he's talked about difficulties, he's given us all of these tests, but really at the heart of this, the thing he's shown us several times, he's going to show us again, is that we should challenge and think and examine on a regular basis our very salvation. In fact, in James 1.21, he tells us literally that our souls are at stake. And so as we read through these verses, as we continue our, our study this morning, James is going to continue to challenge us and ask us the question very simply, do our lives demonstrate that our faith is real? I mean, that's a question you ought to be asking. It's a question you ought to be answering. If you look at the mirror of your life and you don't see any fruit, you don't see any growth, you don't see anything that would please the Lord, James would say, we'll see it in just a few minutes, you're probably a fool. Those are his words, not mine. And so this morning, we're going to re-examine the idea. James is going to bring it up again to us. He's going to challenge us again in our faith. He's going to challenge us with our walk. And so we're going to begin this morning in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. We're going to cover the, the last half of James chapter 2. We have it on the screen. You can follow along. If you have your Bibles, you can read along there in your seats. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers? And there he does that again, right? Where he's going to kind of hammer us and challenge us. He calls us his brothers, right? We're friends. We're all on the same page here. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, and that word is crucial, we'll come back to it. If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? What an incredibly insightful question. Verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Here's the first truth. It's challenging. It's compelling. It ought to help us better understand and examine our faith. It's a truth James has shown us over and over again. He shows it to us again this morning. Number one, our faith is dead without action. Our faith is dead without action. 
Now, this is nothing new. This is something we've already seen before. James has kind of already challenged us with this idea. And James has contrasted a couple of different things for us over the last few weeks. And then hopefully you find yourself understanding and challenging your walk based on these contrasts. He's contrasts the hearer versus the doer. Are you a person that hears only or are you doing something with your faith? He, he's challenged and contrasted the passive faith, the person that just sits and soaks with the active faith, the person that gets up and actually does for the sake of the kingdom. This morning he's going to, to compare the alive faith, the saving faith in his words with a dead faith. So so as we walk through this text together, you really ought to ask yourself the question, am I in the category of the live, living, action-oriented, saving faith, or am I in the passive, hearing-only, dead faith? Because you're going to find yourself in one of the two categories. And so James uses a couple of words here to kind of help us understand this comparison. He's going to use the word say, S-A-Y, contrasted with the word show, S-H-O-W. And he's going to show us both of these words. It's talk versus action. It's passive versus active. And so he's going to use the word say in verses 14, 16, and 18. Pull those up for me if you would, please, beginning in verse 14. What good is it, my brother, if someone says, right? It's not enough just to say. If someone has, says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? Now, verse 16. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? And then verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James says the word say, to say it, isn't enough. If you just kind of walk around saying that you have faith, James would say very simply, talk is cheap. So just to kind of... Put the ball back in your court, just to be very clear with the words of James here. If you claim to have authentic, real, life-giving, saving faith, prove it. That's what James would say. Don't simply walk around talking it. Show us that it's real. You know, if I went into a, 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 a party or a new place where I didn't know anybody and I was trying to impress a lot of people, maybe I would walk in and say something like this. How did, I just want to look, if I, if I, can I have your attention, everybody, please, here? I just, I'm not bragging, but I just wanted you to know that I'm an astronaut. Just, you know, I just want everybody to know I'm, I'm an astronaut. And they were like, wow, that's pretty cool, man. What, what mission did you go up on? Oh, I've, I've, I mean, I've never actually... I've never actually been into space. I've never been on a mission. Oh, well, are you, I mean, so you're employed by NASA. I guess you're in training at some point in the future to go on a mission somewhere. Maybe, maybe the next mission to the moon. Are you training to go to Mars? No, 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 I'm not. I mean, I'm not training. I'm not training to, to go anywhere or to go into space. Oh, are you in school? Maybe you're, maybe you're in a university or college and your, your degree and you're studying and one day you hope NASA's going to hire you to an interview. No, no, I'm not in school. To, I'm, not, I'm not really studying any of that stuff. Well, well then you're, you're not really an astronaut, right? I mean, we can, we can say that all day long and, and I can try to impress people with all the things I've thought or said or want to one day do. But if I'm not doing any of those things, I'm a fake. 
And, and if I literally had that conversation with you, you'd walk away and think, there's, there's something wrong with this guy. I mean, some, something's going on. And, and yet I just wonder, and, and this is between you and the Lord, I just wonder how many people kind of think or claim their faith, but there's nothing in their life to indicate it's real. Why are we okay with this? And you would think I would need some mental help if I was over here talking about being an astronaut. What's the difference? Is the loud rumble happens and we, nobody knows what it is. I don't know what it is either. Hopefully we're all okay. Just relax. I saw y'all, y'all like... There it goes, passing. So why, why is it that we, we just kind of think it's okay to say one thing and not have any actual fruit when over here you'd think I was crazy if I claimed to be an astronaut and was not? You know, there's a lot of fakes and, and, and forgeries throughout history. I, I did a little research. There, there's a lot of people over the years that have claimed to be one thing when, when they're not. Some of them we're, we're more familiar with. Frank Abagnale Jr. or the, 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 the movie Catch Me If You Can. How many of you have seen that movie just out of curiosity? The guy that writes the fake checks. This is a real guy. It really happened. He, he literally wrote probably millions of dollars worth of fake checks. He pretended to be a doctor, passed the boards, I think. Pretended to be an airline pilot. That's pretty scary. Literally, Pan Am, he got a Pan Am pilot's uniform, would sneak by in security, acting like he was a pilot. Literally was in the cockpit of planes. That's, that's a true story. He was a, he was a fake. He, he, he was a fraud. And there, there are lots of incredible fakes and frauds throughout history. But by far, the greatest fraud in modern history is clearly the pop duo Millie Vanilli. I mean, they, they, have, they have kind of set the bar above any of these other frauds and fakes. And, and, and I knew them well when I was, you know, in high school. Let's, be, let's just kind of, let's be clear, honest. How many of you owned a Milli Vanilli tape? See? Right, right. I, I'm not going to ask how many still do. I'd be embarrassed to raise my hand. But Milli Vanilli, if you don't know anything about this group, they were, they were very popular. They won, they won a Grammy. Did you know that about Millie? They won a Grammy. They had three or four number one hits. Their record was number one. There was a point where they were literally the greatest kind of pop uh, music duo in the world. They traveled all over the world singing. You're like, that's great. What's the problem? The problem is they lip synced every one of their songs. They weren't real. And the way they were caught, and you can watch it on YouTube, it's kind of a funny slash really sad video to watch, but they're in concert one night, and, and the, the tape or the CD or whatever they were using back then skipped. And it started just repeating the same part of the song over and over. And for the, for, literally for the first three or four times, they're dancing, and they're trying to re-sing the same lyrics, and then they re-sing it, and they re-sing it, and finally they literally just run off the stage. That's exactly what happened. That's how they were caught. They took back their Grammy. None of that stuff mattered. People made fun of them. They've kind of gone down in history as this fake. And I, I just wonder, and I, I just want to challenge you right now with this idea. How many of us are lip-syncing our faith? James says we need to be careful. Because if you're simply saying you're a believer, and, and, and there's no proof then you're mistaken. And so he gives us this example in verse 15. Pull it up if you would for me, please. Just, just to kind of be clear. 
If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that, right? What good is it to say, hey, listen, I know you're starving, I know you don't have any clothing, I know you don't have a place to sleep, good luck, I hope things go well for you. James says you can't simply say you want to help them and not do anything for them, right? Saying isn't enough. So pull up verse 18. So he contrasts that with, but someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Don't just talk about it. Show it. I'm reminded of Christ in Matthew chapter 7. Beginning in verse 16, Jesus says this, By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A tree cannot bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them, right? Your faith, very simply, must have action. Now, here's what some people are going to do. Now, wait a minute, Adam. I know all about the Lord. I've studied the Bible. I've memorized passages of Scripture. I can, I can answer theological questions. I know all there is to know about the Scripture. Isn't that good enough? Well, look at James chapter 2, now verse 19. James, I love how he kind of outthinks us. He's going to kind of cut us off here in our doubt. Here's what he says in verse 19. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Here's truth number two. Our faith must be more than simply believing that God exists. Our faith must be more than simply believing that God exists. Some will say, do I, do I really need to demonstrate my faith? Do, do I really need fruit? Do, do I really need to show this? It, isn't it enough that I just know who Jesus is, that I, that I know about Jesus, that I can quote Scripture or talk about God's Word? James refers to that person in verse 20 as a fool. See, simple intellectual understanding of Christ is not enough. It's the difference between knowing facts about a person and actually knowing that person. I'm reading a, a fascinating biography right now of Robert Oppenheimer. Robert Oppenheimer was the father of the atomic bomb. Some of you may be familiar with him. He's an interesting guy. He was, he was born into a Jewish family in New York City. He went to Harvard, graduated at the top of his class, went to Cambridge and studied in England, came back and taught at California Berkeley, was a genius I mean, a genius. He, he struggled. He was very awkward and had strange things that he did in his personal life. But in his professional life, he was incredible. Recruited by the government. Led the Los Alamos uh, Research Laboratory in, in New Mexico. Developed the atomic bomb with a team of people. And literally, now you think about what that did. Changed the world. 
Now, I'm reading this book. I'm not finished with it yet, but when I finish, I'm sure I'll know a lot, maybe everything about Robert Oppenheimer, but I don't know Robert Oppenheimer. Never met him. Never going to have a relationship with Robert Oppenheimer. See, we, we, we know about a lot of people, don't we? We know facts about a lot of people. But there are very few people that we actually know. James says it's not enough to simply know about Jesus. It's not simply enough to know about the Lord. It's not simply enough to know facts. If you're that person and you think that's enough, you're a fool. I love, I love the way Johnny Hunt explains this. Johnny Hunt's the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, pastor of First Baptist Woodstock near Atlanta. I love how he explains that. He's speaking of the devil. Now listen to this quote. Speaking of the devil. He believes in Jesus. <laughs> he knows the scriptures. He believes in the resurrection from the dead, the virgin birth, prophecy, and even baptism. Now listen, I love this next phrase. Demons are not atheists. Rather, they firmly believe in the deity of Christ. Even so, James reminds us the kind of faith demons have is no worse than the kind of faith some of his readers possessed who claimed faith but lacked works. James says, your faith apart from your works is useless. So let's see then, beginning in verse 21, what authentic faith ought to look like. James chapter 2, verse 21. He gives some practical examples right out of Scripture. So was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the Scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Truth number three. Our faith is alive when our actions demonstrate our trust in the Lord. Our faith is alive when our actions demonstrate our trust in the Lord. I love what James does here in the latter part of chapter 2 because he's going to use two people, two very different people to make his point. Both of these people, Abraham and Rahab, demonstrated their faith with incredible boldness and action. That's important for you to understand. It wasn't enough for Abraham simply to say, I believe. He demonstrated that belief with his action. It wasn't enough for Rahab to simply say, I have faith. She showed that faith through the way she lived. Now, we, we know the story of Abraham probably better than we do Rahab. If you've been with us for a little while, we walked through the book of Genesis a couple years ago. And in Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to Abram at that time. He later became Abraham. And God, God made him this, this incredible promise. 
He said, I'm, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to bless you and bless those that you bless and curse those that you curse. And basically, I'm going I'm to make you into this incredible, uh, faith-filled man that's going to lead generations of people toward me. It's this promise the Lord gave to Abraham. We, we know the story well. Rahab, we've probably heard of, and maybe some of you are familiar, but some of you aren't. One of the things you probably need to understand about Rahab that's, that's kind of interesting is she was a prostitute. Now, just a side note, this, this is fascinating to me, but, but Rahab the prostitute, if you were to go back and read Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Christ, Rahab is mentioned as an ancestor of Jesus. So just think about this. The lineage of Christ came through a prostitute. Now, just for, just for a, just a, a very quick point of application, don't you think if God can use a, a prostitute for his honor and glory, he can use you? Man, that, that's not only challenging for me, but it brings me just a, an awful lot of hope. But this prostitute, when, the, when the, the, the Israelites were trying to figure out if they could take the promised land, especially the city of Jericho, they sent in the spies, you remember? And Rahab basically sheltered these two spies, hid them from the authorities, let them get out alive at the risk of her own life. And so you've got these, these two stories of these two different people that demonstrated great faith. Now I want you to listen to what James says in verses 21 and then verse 25. Pull 21 up if you would for me, please. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Then verse 25. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. James is speaking of their works and how their works demonstrated their faith. And some of you would say, well, I'm a little confused because I, I thought we were justified through our faith alone. That's what Paul teaches, I thought, and that's what Ephesians says, and there are other examples of justification. So let's just think through this just for a few minutes because I don't want there to be any confusion. To understand the word justify or justification, we, we need to kind of give a definition. It's the action of showing something to be right or reasonable. Now, the saying is when we make a mistake that we justify our actions, right? We're trying to justify or we're trying to make our actions seem right or seem reasonable. Here's the problem. We are all sinners before a holy God. And so nothing in our lives, nothing in our actions are good enough. Right? We're, we're not justified by our actions because the Lord who is holy cannot ignore our sins. And so we're separated from the Lord because of our failures, because of our sin. The only way we can be justified, the only way that our actions can be seen as right, the only way we can be forgiven of those things is through the sacrifice and the blood of Christ. So because of what Jesus has done for us, because of the sacrifice he made, our sins have been justified. They, they've been forgiven. It's as if we no longer sinned. Now maybe the way that would help us better understand this in kind of common language would be to think about pardons that certain political figures can give. The president, governors can pardon certain crimes. Now this is important for us to understand. If you commit a crime and are found guilty, you can be pardoned by the president or by the governor. But when you are pardoned, it's not as if you are innocent. 
Now what the president is saying or what the governor is saying is you are guilty. We acknowledge that you're guilty, but I am going to pardon you. I'm going to look upon you as if you never committed that crime and you're free to go. When the Lord looks upon us, he doesn't see our sins. He sees Christ and the blood of Christ that covers our sins. And because of Christ, we have been justified. So, so here's what James wants us to understand. James wants us to understand very simply that the actions of Abraham, the actions of Rahab, prove that their faith is real. Their actions prove that they really have put their full trust and hope in the Lord. I want to be very clear about this because I don't want to be in confusion. The Bible's not saying that James or Rahab were saved by their works. Look at verse 22 again. This is important for us to see. I don't want to lose you in this understanding because this is important for you to get. James 2.22 says this. You see that faith was active along with works and faith was completed by his works. You see what we're saying here? Abraham demonstrated that his faith was real by the way he lived his life. There was evidence to prove his faith. That's why James uses him and he uses Rahab as a very clear example. Now we just celebrated a few days ago Valentine's Day. And I'm going to speak as a husband because that's what I am and I have the most experience there. As a husband, men or guys maybe that are dating a girl or have dated, if you kind of think through that relationship a little bit, certain things are expected of you on Valentine's Day. Men, am I right? This would be yes. You guys are like, yeah, of course, things are expected. And so I, I, I got a feeling that you guys planned weeks and weeks ahead, guys, right, to get the cards and the flowers on time and they were delivered. And as long as they're there by midnight Valentine's Day, it counts, right? Is that... <laughs> but Valentine's Day is important for us because we're expected to demonstrate our love, aren't we? I mean, if I hadn't done anything for Amy, and by the way, I got her roses, and I cooked dinner for her that night, right? <laughs> if I had not done any of those things for her, if I hadn't demonstrated my, my love for her, then it would have been a little bit of a different type of a day for us, wouldn't it? It wouldn't have gone too well. Because I could have said all day long, I love you, I care about you. But when you don't demonstrate it, it's difficult, Right? Our wives, men, like us, and by the way, it should be more than just Valentine's Day. Our wives love for us to demonstrate our love. It's not just about words, although words are important. At some point, we've got to say, this is real, and I want to show you that it's real. Same thing with our faith. James says it's not enough just to kind of talk the talk. You've got to prove that your faith is real. And I love this, and I'm winding down on this, but I just love this example that James uses with Abraham because the minute you say something like, you know, I'm just not sure I can do that to prove my faith because it's just too difficult for me. I'm not sure I can act this way to prove my faith is just too hard. I'm just not sure I can kind of walk through this difficulty. I'm reminded of Abraham. Now, just, just for one second, imagine a love so deep, a faith so real with the Lord that you would be willing to sacrifice your son. James says, if, if, if you ever have any doubt about real faith, just look at Abraham. If you have any doubt about real trust, just look at Rahab. 
if you want to understand what faith and action looks like, just look at these two people. Because they didn't just say it, they lived it. And so we're, we're left with, with this kind of nagging question, how are we living out our faith? How are we demonstrating our love to the Lord? If somebody followed you around all day and you didn't know it, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a believer? Do they see the way you talk to people, the way you treat people, the way you walk through trials, the way you interact, the the things you think, the way you treat your spouse and your children and your, your faithfulness? Would they see in your life a demonstration of your faith? James says, just just be very, very careful. Be warned. Faith without works is dead. And our love for the Lord, our desire to serve Him should lead us to demonstrate our faith in everything we do. And when we do that, when our faith is put into action and we live our lives showing our faith and showing our trust, we do the one thing that ought to dictate everything about who we are and the one thing that we should show and see throughout our lives. When we live out our faith, the Lord receives glory. And that ought to be our goal. We ought to love him enough that we say, I'm going to do whatever you've called me to do for your honor and for your glory. What are you doing to put your faith into action? Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your truth. We thank you for the challenge again, Lord, this morning of being active in our faith, being very real in our faith. Not being a hearer only, but being a doer. Not not being passive, being active. Not having a dead faith, but a faith that's alive, Father. And we understand that the way we live our lives for you will demonstrate very clearly who we are in you. It's more than just our words. It's about the way we live. So I pray, Father, that we we would take a genuine faith that would lead us, Father, in in great love and appreciation for you to put it to action. And then I pray, Father, as our faith becomes more and more active for you, that you would receive honor and glory and use us to further your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. It's an opportunity for you to respond. Pray, speak to me, but allow the Lord to lead you during this time of invitation. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.